I'm willing to give up, you know, maybe then an extra two to 3% of cash flow so that someone else can make the money for me. And I'll kind of still do my own thing in these other assets. So that way you're still building your general portfolio at the same time, instead of just having to do everything yourself. Welcome to the First Gen Mastery Podcast, where we empower first-generation immigrants to master the path to abundance and freedom through real estate investing. We are your hosts, Austin Wong and Aman Shahi. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of First Gen Mastery. In today's show, we have Anna Tan, who is a real estate investor and operator with over a decade of experience with 100 million asset and management for over 900 units. Welcome to the show. Anna, how are you doing? Doing wonderful. Thank you for having me. All right. Yeah, absolutely good to have you here. So can you tell us a little bit on how did you get started into real estate and what inspired you to make that action? So that was kind of an accident, to be honest. So my my parents are both Vietnamese immigrants. They were part of the the boat people when they um, came over from Vietnam back in the 70s. And for whatever reason, and I, I think it was ingrained in them, I think um, real estate has is, is a cross-cultural um, thing. Like I think everyone understands it, no matter what background or culture you're from. And so my parents were always, you know, they had their main jobs, but they were always really big into real estate. So, but their version of real estate is very different from what the real estate I'm doing today. But how they started was, you know, something that's really understandable is, is just renting a house. You know, you're saving up money, you rent a house and, um, or you buy a house all cash and then you're able to rent it out one at a time. And, and they were able to build a very small portfolio over time because of, of doing that. But through that process, it's very slow as well. So you Especially can imagine from an immigrant family, you know, buying a house full cash back then was probably like about a hundred thousand. Um, that takes a really long time to build money. And so um, how I started was, you know, my parents were already doing this for years and I never really understood um, the reason or why or, or what the potential that was. But essentially my parents gave my husband and I as a wedding gift, a rental house. And we could either have chosen to live in it or, or rented it out. And so what we ended up doing was we decided to rent it out. And it was in a, a really great location in Houston. And um, I remember our friends kind of making fun of us because, because we did that, you know, we we're newlyweds. We didn't have that much money either. I was actually still in school at the time. I, we actually lived at my, my parents' house for several years after we were married. And, and so I guess the, the, the joke is, you know, why aren't you, why are you still living at home and da da da? But um, I, my mom's amazing. Like she does her, she did her laundry and she cooks and all this stuff. So lots of great perks there. And, and I, I totally miss that now. And so that's how we got into real estate because my parents gave us um, our first rental home as a wedding gift. And we made so many mistakes through that. We didn't know what we were doing. It was really our first time owning a business because when you do own real estate and you're renting it out, it, it really is a business. You're learning how to 
um, you know, how do you secure your, um, basically like through liability, like how do you kind of secure your assets? How do you separate your business from your personal? How do you manage um, your customer base, which um, in this case are the people that's renting your house? How do you deal with contracts, you know, insurance and all this stuff, right? So that, that was our first experience and that was over 10 years ago. And I'm, I'm really grateful that I had that kind of forced upon us in, in a sense. And um, so I, I don't regret that at all. And now what we do is we actually syndicate uh, multifamily. So what we do in that case is we're buying very large apartments um, that are multi-million dollars. So we're, so we're not buying these $100,000 homes. Now we're buying you know, 20, 30, $60 million apartments, not in, not full in cash. We don't have that much cash. So we're actually leveraging, we're borrowing debt through it, but we're able to do that with other people, other investors that are interested in pooling their money. And so as a group, we're able to buy really, really large projects and, um, and, and basically make money from that after we sell the, pro the, the property. So very different from how we started and, and totally different from, from what our parents did. So what kind of lessons did you learn? Start from like single family buying a cash as your parents and you investing in syndication now. Like what's the difference and what lesson did you learn in that part? So I think the big thing is leverage. And, um, and it kind of depends. Like right now you, you can kind of look at as money rent or borrowing money can be kind of expensive now, but yeah. If, if back then when we had interest rates that were like one to 2% and you were buying things in full cash, like why would you do that when it costs almost, I would say almost like nothing to yeah. borrow money and you can um, grow so much faster. You can expand so much quicker if you're able to use that same amount and, and have multiple properties. So, so an example would be with that hundred thousand dollars, um, if a down payment, 20%, if, if, if you had a hundred thousand, would you rather have one property pay full in cash, hundred thousand, or would you rather be able to borrow money and do a down payment for 20,000, get five properties. And yeah. so now you're kind of, um, able to maybe expand, you know, over the five properties or the one property. So that, that, that's where doing the multifamily syndication enables you is you, you're able to scale. A lot faster and you're able to um, leverage the economies of scale better too so that's one of the big learnings that i have that different that differs from when my parents were were in real estate so was there an aha moment where you were like oh the the more traditional the older ways on how your parents was buying properties at the time is different from how you can operate that is more optimal, more leveraged, and more scalable. What was that uh, moment like? So I would say my parents were very the DIY type of people. And I think a lot of us mm -hmm. naturally are. We, especially with anyone that's very, that, that, that wants to learn, that wants to grow, you, you always kind of have, you always start with, I want to do everything because I want to learn everything yeah. myself. And, but you don't really have to. Um, I think you'll, once you kind of figure out there's certain things that you absolutely are terrible at, like why do you have to learn that when there's so many 
resources or, or people or people that you can partner with that enjoy an aspect of the business that you don't like, and they, but they love it and they can do so much better than you? Like, why waste your energy on on doing that? Like, for me, I hate doing bookkeeping and accounting. Like, that's mm-hmm. the worst. Um, so I'd rather, like, my husband does it, which is fine with me. But, you know, we can outsource that. Like, there's people that do that, right? Mm-hmm. So um, I think with multifamily, the the great thing is because you're in a bigger project, you there's absolutely no way that you can manage every facet of the business. It's just way too big. It's impossible. But because of that, you also have to rely on your partners and leverage their skill sets because everyone has a special, unique power that that you can can tap into, right? And I, I'm not. I'm never going to know. I'm never going to be able to know or learn certain parts of the business and I don't have an appetite to there's there's certain things that I absolutely love and enjoy and I can excel and it gives me so much energy to do I'd rather spend my time doing that than trying to learn how to do bookkeeping because that doesn't bring me any joy so I think that's something really different like from a mindset perspective because I think back then um like my parents it was just we have to do everything. Like we, we can't depend on other people. We um, have to figure it out on ourselves. And back then we didn't have internet either. So that, that makes a, a little bit of a difference too. And when you saw your parents buying a house with, with cash, did you question what change you can make and how you can grow, how you can scale? So I, I think that was something, and, and I think I was too young to really understand that. Um, and, and that's something that I wish I, I learned earlier um, when I was younger. I didn't understand, I mean, I took economy class in high school, but to be practical about it and to apply that into real world, it, it like there was a disconnect for me because it was something that real estate is not talked about in high school or school or mm-hmm major businesses like no one really talks about real estate unless you seek them out through like podcasts or or um through your individual research but there's just a disconnect in in applying uh, maybe economic principles that you learn in school into real world and um and and that's something that i wish i i knew a little bit more but i i think in in hindsight um well i'll tell you a story so whenever we ever bought a car it was always in cash. And I always thought that was what you're supposed to do. Um, And then that's crazy, right? But that's what my parents always did. And so I always had this mindset of you can't buy a house until you have X amount, like the full dollar amount. And then maybe that's part of the reason why I never moved out of my parents' house until much later, because I always thought we had, we needed the full amount to pay in cash. Mm. I mean, it was great because I saved money, right? But um, it, it was just like crazy. And, and so it took a little bit of time and kind of talking to people on what the benefits of were of using credit. And, um, and it wasn't a bad thing. Like using credit isn't scary. I, I, I know someone that refuses to get a credit card because they don't want to fall into a trap of overpaying, being missed, like late on their payments. Yeah. But, but there's ways to, to mitigate that, right? Like auto pay and, and other things. 
And so I think it's just educating and being comfortable and, and changing your mindset is, is what really kind of helps you progress. And I think one thing that I learned is the way that my parents did something doesn't necessarily mean that's the right way or the best way to do things. So we're fortunate enough to be um, in a modern age where education and resources is at our fingertips and uh, we should definitely leverage that so we can can see what else is out there. I can definitely relate to what you said, Anna, about that savers mentality, I guess. The first time that I've heard of Dave Ramsey's teaching on, you know, be very careful with your credit card and save up, never get loans. Like, I think those are good practices, but I never really related to it because I was like, hmm, that's kind of the default way for me and my parents to live is that we just save and then we buy. And I think that in a way helped us move forward, but to a point where if we want to get to the next level, especially in real estate, we kind of need to challenge that default thinking. And I think that was really a pretty important mindset shift, a pretty nuanced mindset shift, but an important one to make. But I think nowadays, if you have that kind of mentality, you're never going to buy anything because the way prices are increasing, you can save more and more. You will never achieve the destination. The inflation is going up. The prices are going up. The salary is not going up. So okay. there, right. there would yeah. always be a gap. A smart investor can only use a leverage to grow. So, Anna, can you tell us the very first deal when you transitioned from, you know, your very first rental property and single family home to a syndication deal? Walk us through that part of the journey. Yeah. So the, the first multifamily deal that we joined was as a limited partner. And my husband has been looking to multifamily probably for f around five years up to that point. And I, I never really paid attention to it. I was just not interested. I'm like busy at work, you know, and eh, you know, we, we have our own single family homes we have to worry about. So I was just kind of like, yeah, okay, whatever. That blew him off. And what happened was I had my, um, my second child and something about having kids and, and maybe it's number two that kind of like, some, like it does something to you. Um, I think it, 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 it sends you to like overdrive, like, oh, I have another, you know, a body to take care of, another mouth to feed. Um, this is my legacy. Like, like, do we have a, um, a secure future for my child or my family? Like something just happened. And, and I've talked to other, to other couples and, and it almost seems like there's a little bit of a pattern. It's like something just kind of clicks. Right. And, um, and so after this one deal, you know, my, my husband's been evaluating for five years and I looked at this, I'm like, Hey, I, I think we should just jump in. And I, I remember, um, I jumped in this deal with, um, with actually my, my cousin and I trusted her very much on this. And I was like, okay, I, we underwrote it. And Peter, um, my husband, Peter, he asked a lot of questions to, to the general partners. Like he basically did everything that an engineer would do. And he was not ready. He still was not ready to jump in. And um, he, he was like, I don't know. And so what I ended up doing was I just ended up signing the PPM. So that was the um, private placement memorandum uh, stating that I wanted to invest and I was good to go. 
And so I basically signed it. And I remember he came home that day and he was just livid. Like, he was just like, what are you doing? Like, da, da, da. I was just like, I think this is a good deal. Like, I think we should jump in. And, and what's scary, because it was our first one. And, um, and I remember after that, I, I was like shaking because I was like, I don't know if I made the right call. Like, we've, we've been investing for so long up to that point. Like, we've done stocks and, you know, all these other, you know, different asset classes, different everything, even our single family homes. But because this was our first one, even though it's real estate, like I was still scared. I was nervous. And um, I remember he was just so livid and, and I was like, okay, whatever. And I remember um, sending the money because it was a large sum of cash. It was 75,000 because these wow. um, syndications, they're um, one of the, the barriers to entry is the higher um, entry because it's not like stocks where you can kind of put in a couple dollars or, or whatnot. But um, it is equitable to, if you were to buy a single family home, that's about how much it would be anyways. So it's, to me, it's, it's kind of similar. And so I put in the money and um, I sent the, the wire and, um, and it, it's made us money so far. So no regrets there, right? But uh, hindsight is always twenty twenty, And I think jumping into, into your first syndication is, is going to be scary, no matter how much investing experience you have. And what kind of lesson did you learn as an LP that you can reflect in the GP as well? Um, so I would say one of the lessons is to make sure you understand the underwriting and mm -hmm. don't be afraid to ask any question that comes to mind. Um, and, and at one point, no matter how long um, that you're considering, at one point, you just have to kind of jump in and just see if it's going to work. Um, if you ask the, the questions, you do your due diligence, you're just going to have to go with it. And no matter how scary it is, and no matter um, if, if you have to sleep in a separate bedroom that night, but it, it, it works out. Um, but it, you have to understand when you do invest, you can always lose your money. That's, that's probably the biggest risk in, in any investment. But um, if you make a smart decision, do, do what you feel is right. And sometimes you just have to kind of jump in cold and see what happens. So for that first experience investing as an LP, how do you feel the differences comparing in the single family world where let's say you're investing the same amount of money in one of the single family deals that you have? So you're hands off. Um, you're not in the day to day. What I do receive are monthly reports and um, I, I get the distributions. So that that's different, right? Like you don't know all the daily operations and, and you probably don't need to know and you don't want to know coming from a single family home experience and we still manage and operate them. Sometimes some days are easy and some days are really hard and, and you have to deal with the, the individuals and the people. And sometimes they're great tenants and sometimes they're just not the best. So you, you have to work that out. Um, you do make a little bit more in terms of percent returns from the single family homes, but you are also putting in the extra work, the time and effort to do that. So you do get that trade-off. And I think what's great is that there are different types of investment vehicles. So I only have 24 hours in a day, and I think you guys mm -hmm. have that too. And if I want to fully utilize um, 
basically all my investments that I can or all the money that I can in investments, I don't have enough time in a day to operate everything. So mm-hmm. I, I'm willing to give up, you know, maybe then an extra two to 3% of cash flow so that someone else can make the money for me. And I'll kind of still do my own thing in these other assets. So that way you're still building your general portfolio at the same time, instead of just having to do everything yourself. And that way you're always having your money work for you at all times, instead of just whenever you have the time to do it. And and I think that's probably the smarter way to, to grow your wealth. I want to comment on that. If you invest as a limited partner, you can also sleep better at night. (laughs) You don't have to go through all the day-to-day work just to get stressed. You can still make money. You can have better sleep. And you can leverage that to somebody else. That's right. Um, especially, and in, in I think also depending on where you are in, yeah. in your life, more sleep is always better. I think everyone can use sleep. But when, um, so, so we have two kids at the moment mm-hmm. and we just don't have enough time to do everything ourselves. And of course, with having young children, it's sometimes you just don't get that much sleep either. And so more sleep is always, always good. Um, I have one more question. So when you invest as an LP, what kind of qualities or traits that you look in the, in the partner? What do you look in them? Yeah. So I look to see, um, I like to have a conversation with them to understand what their values are, what their role is into the deal, what they've committed to in the past, um, what they're willing to do, what is their experience, aside from, you know, underwriting the deal and kind of seeing if, if it's a good fit for me. And I think just being able to connect with the, the general partner is really important because, and, and I know there's some great people that maybe I don't connect with that are great operators, but if I can't connect with you as a person, it's really hard for me to trust you with, mm-hmm. with my money. And um, so I like to have at least build some type of not not just um, I like to have like many conversations and and build a relationship with the partner before I invest with anyone. I totally agree. I think this goes back to the point about sleeping good at night. If you don't trust the operator that you're putting money with, how can you how can you sleep at all? And I think that's really one thing that trumps over the return metrics on paper. Yeah. So from that very first LP deal that you have invested uh, $75,000 of and getting to know about multifamily, what happened afterwards? So we, we, we got the investing bug. So we invested in another one, (laughs) not, not short, like pretty shortly after. And we, um, and that's when we started looking into being an operator and it because we wanted to, we were trying to figure out how to scale from single family homes. And, and we were limited in a sense of we didn't know where to go next because we, at that time, I think we had um, maybe six or seven single family homes at the time. And it was just to a point where it was just getting to be a lot of work. I mean, it was a lot of work, but it was just kind of getting a little bit too much, but we still wanted to scale up. And so through, um, through investing, we, we learned what syndication was like. And we, we started to doing a little bit more research. We joined a mentorship group and we thought that being an operator in multifamily syndication was 
a great fit for us because we were able to leverage the time and knowledge of our other partners. And we were able to focus on the things that we really enjoyed doing. And, um, and so we ended up um, not only just LPing in our next deal, but we ended up um, investing as a GP. So we were a general partner and operator in, in our base. I think it was our third deal that, that we joined in on. And that was a um, 261 unit in Houston. And so we're, we're super excited about doing that. And so since then, we've been in is it three, three, three other deals since then, or, or three total. So when comparing the involvement between an LP and a GP for that two deals, can you walk us through some of the more nuanced differences between the two, like your level of involvement, your duties, your returns? Yeah, so I learned how to be a lot more efficient with my time and what I am committed to doing because now, you know, once we're in more deals, we still wanted to be a part of all of them in, in some way or capacity. Um, one, at the very minimum, being part of all of the weekly or bi-weekly, kind of depending on the deals, weekly or bi-weekly uh, meetings with the property management team. So the benefit, one of the biggest things I didn't mention, one of the benefits of being in a larger multifamily complex is that you can afford to hire a property management company to manage the daily daily operations of, of the office. Um, that's something that I actually do not like about single family homes. And so being able to do that, um, they you know give you a recap of this is what's going on. And as an asset manager, you're able to just kind of hone in on what's the strategy or you approve certain things or um, you provide suggestions on, hey, maybe we should look at this or, so I really like the overall strategy view. And for me, that's something that gives me a lot of energy on. And so you're able to take a step back and look at the big picture while you have the third party property management company look at, you know, the, the details mm -hmm. in the day to day. So to me, that's, that's a lot of fun. What, what were some of your other questions? Oh, like your level of involvement and return metrics and duties. Yeah. So I think um, that's part of it. Um, one thing that we really focus in on is also the marketing piece. Mm -hmm. So how do we market the, or increase our, but everyone kind of does this too, but we really focus in on the marketing and how do we increase our occupancy? So how do we spread the word in, um, increasing our leasing, right? Like how do we increase the traffic or hot leads that, that come to the, um, the, the location? So, you know, we kind of check like, Hey, is, uh, apartments.com are we, are the numbers actually going through or, you know, Facebook ads, is that working? Or, um, so we have a couple of different marketing, I guess, sites or leads that we utilize and, and ba we basically qualify or, kind of check with the vendor, like, hey, this doesn't look right. Or we look at the metrics to see if we're getting the traffic that we're supposed to, or, it, you know, so, so kind of things like that, um, that, that we really focus on, on, on our properties. And what was your role in the first deal as a GP? Were you like, you know, raising the capital or you were operating it, asset management, acquisition? Yeah, yeah so I would say, um, I think all of us are, in some way contribute to raising capital. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, I, I think as part of SEC rules, your raising capital isn't your only responsibility. So we also participate in the weekly property management calls. 
And we also do a little bit of asset management. So like I said, I, I also focus on the, the marketing piece. And so um, if you actually check my, my Facebook marketplace, I've actually been posting um, like, like some of our units and I actually mm -hmm. respond. And those are some hot leads that I give back to the leasing office. Like, Hey, check these mm -hmm. people out. So I try to pre-qualify people like no, no broken leases and, you know, a couple of other qualifiers, but I, I help do that. And I, that helps, that's been helping us drive up occupancy in the last three weeks. And how and much was the raise? Of, how much was the first raise for your deal? by yourself yeah the first deal we raised a million and a half for mm -hmm. just for us mm -hmm. and we were able to do that within a week and so mm -hmm. a lot of our investors um put a lot of trust and faith in us especially since we've had um, previous real estate experience and, and so that was a really fast raise for us our other ones were really um, pretty fast too they were actually faster than that if you can imagine and um so most of us, like our portion of, of the raise has been closed out in three or four days. So as, as someone new who's going into real estate, learning about single family, investing in syndication as an LP and potentially become a GP in the future, I know this is kind of a tough thing to give an exact number of, but on a ballpark level, how what are some of the returns on these different roles and asset classes if let's say that i have seventy five thousand dollars and i can put in one of these three i if i don't know the you know the return metric i wouldn't even know how to how to how to choose so on a ballpark level what are some of the level of return that you have experienced so i would say and this is more generalization so i'd say single family homes if if you're put in a good spot probably between 10 to 12 percent cash on cash maybe 15 um and that's really dependent on if you're able to find a tenant, you know, pretty immediately. So probably 10 to 12 by 12. Um, for the the syndications right now, they're probably more between five and eight. Mm -hmm. And so that the difference in spread is really driven by, you know, you working it versus you you not working the asset. Good and sleep. yeah, and, and, and sleep. So sleep, <laughs> sleep is very important. Um, there's been a couple occasions where for single family homes or, or tenants, fridge, heater, um, anything that you could think of would, would break like right before we go on vacation or it would break like the Wednesday before Thanksgiving, just very inconvenient times of the day or times of the year. So that, so that happened quite a lot. Um, but as a GP, obviously you because you're working it, you you tend to get a little bit more in, in terms of sweat equity. Mm -hmm. um, so it can kind of vary depending on how it's set up in in um, the agreement between the, the GP. So that one's a little bit hard, but but essentially you're putting in work and, and you're getting a portion of, um, of the equity. And is cash on cash the main metric that we should look at? Or... Do you also look at uh, internal rate of return, annualized return? Like what are some of the main metrics that you look at when you evaluate a deal? So it, I think it really depends on your your um, your situation. Some people are really interested on the, ca the cash on cash. Like what am I going to get this year in terms of cash? And and that's fine. And, and so you're probably wanting something that's maybe less riskier, um, higher cash on cash, and what you can get this year. 
some people are more interested in long-term um, long-term wealth. So meaning at the end of the project, what is my lump sum going to be? Like, I don't care what I get today. I just care about, you know, whenever the project ends, what that total returns is. Some people care about total returns. Um, some people kind of like, they're like, okay with both. So maybe the annualized returns, um, the average annualized returns over maybe the three to five year period, which is the typical holding period for a syndication. Um, if the if the annualized average annualized return is say like eight percent, that's great. Like that just means at the beginning of the project, it's probably maybe seven, and at the end of the five year, maybe it's closer like nine or ten. So that's why there's that average average annualized number. So it just really depends on um, w- what you're more interested in. Some people are really interested in the IRR and internal rate of return mm-hmm. too. And, and that just brings in a time component, like what's the best bang for my buck in you know two years or three years or whatever time period. So it kind of, it, it kind of ranges, but I think the benefit of investing in different types of asset classes is it gives you optionality between, between either, or it gives you optionality for yourself and your family. That's a lot of information for today. <laughs> anyway, um, before we wrap this up, if somebody wants to reach out to you to connect with you, where can they reach out? Yeah, so my, my name is Anna Tan, and you can find me at sweetlifemf.com. That's S-U-I-T-E-L-I-F-E-M-F.com. And um, you can uh, sign up on our, uh, sorry, we have a free guide that, that we offer to anyone that's interested in learning more about syndications. And, and I'm always happy to jump on a call with anyone to talk a little bit further and see if Uh, syndication is a good fit for them. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on today's show. And uh, that was a very good, I think, almost like a introduction course on how to get into a syndication. Yeah, absolutely. Well, check check out our free guide. It's even better. Thank you so much, Anna. Uh, Thanks, Austin. And we'll see you in the next one. That's it for this episode of First Gen Mastery. Tune in next week for more insights, inspirations, and actionable tips to help you master your path to abundance and freedom. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.